This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Dan on from The Standard, and our topic today is the need for trauma-informed workplaces. Uh, This is going to be fantastic, and I can't wait to get into it. Dan, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and and the standard for those that don't know the standard we'll just we'll just go there in case somebody doesn't know been living sure. under a rock sure so i'm dan joliday i'm the workplace possibilities practice consultant for the standard which is a long way of saying i'm the company's subject matter expert for stay at work return to work ada and healthcare integration services um, and i'm a licensed clinical psychologist uh, the standard is a uh, life and disability insurer. We also provide basically all employee benefits other than uh, uh, health insurance and pharmacy management. So uh, vision, dental, supplemental. And uh, we're one of the largest uh, insurers in the, the country, although we don't advertise much so people aren't uh, familiar with us as much. So... Uh, settle this for me because I think I've been using this incorrectly to uh, to um, with folks that say it. So some people will say, "Oh, I for whatever you know, I had PTSD. Uh, I went to the grocery store; they were out of my you know peanut butter and jelly or whatever. And I had the PTSD." I'm like, "Well, that's in my mind. I've always I've always associated PTSD with the military." So yeah. I'm always like, well, you didn't really have PTSD. You had kind of a form of PTSD. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now, first so, of all, I am not a clinical psychologist, <laughs> nor do I play one on TV, but I, it's yeah. always gotten under my skin. For some reason, I, I didn't serve in the military, so I, it shouldn't, it's nothing like that. But I have always just, a, for whatever reason, I've always associated one with the other. So first of all, tear all that apart (laughs) okay so first off for diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder ptsd you have to have been exposed to actual or threatened death serious injury or sexual violence so Ah, for example people you know we will get uh people who say i have ptsd because my boss yelled at me well if you didn't feel that your life was being threatened, it, it doesn't qualify as post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, many people have emotional responses to less serious situations, and those can, can impact their work performance. But PTSD really requires that you've been exposed to death, injury, or sexual violence. <coughs> Excuse me. That's perfect. Thank you. Now I'm going to use that. So um, the, when we talk about traumatic informed workplaces, let's lay down some basics for the audience. What do we What are we talking about? What's the range of things that we're talking about when we say talk about trauma informed? Well, I think 
going back to what you said about the military, you know, obviously uh, people who have served in the military, especially combat veterans, are at high risk for post-traumatic stress disorder. And that's the group that gets sort of the most press. But really, when you look at Americans in general, Somewhere around 60% of adult Americans will report having experienced at least one traumatic uh, adverse childhood event when they were a kid. Um, and at least a quarter had experienced three. So what we see is a lot of uh, people are traumatized by childhood events. And also uh, sexual uh, violence is extremely common in the uh, in the United States, more than half of women and almost one in three men report at least one uh, incident of sexual violence in their, their lives. So trauma is very pervasive in, uh, in modern society. And what we're doing with trauma-informed management is we're taking what we know about the neurology, the way that our brains adapt to trauma, and we're utilizing that to manage people in a way that we're careful not to re-traumatize them. And there are a handful of things that are really key to this. First is that when we're traumatized, we get kind of a hair-trigger uh, fight, flight, or freeze response. And fight or flight, most people are aware of. But, you know, when, say, way back in, in you know, prehistory, when we were attacked by a bear, we had three responses. One is if you felt like felt you could, uh, could win, was to fight. If you felt you could get away, you would flee. And if you couldn't fight or flee, then you would freeze. And so what we developed and what really all uh, animals have is a fight, flight, or freeze response. And that gets triggered when people have been traumatized. It gets easier and easier to trigger that instinctual response. And when that happens, a very uh, very basic part, a primitive part of our brains uh, gets activated, the amygdala. And we, at that point, are essentially behaving purely on instinct. And at the same time, our communication patterns change because uh, the, the frontal lobe of our brain becomes less active and the uh, language centers growth as it becomes less active. And so we become less verbal. We have difficulty putting our words into, or putting our emotional state into words to convey what we're feeling or experiencing. We're more likely to become uh, very emotional and we're less likely to plan our actions. We're more impulsive. And so when you're working as a trauma-informed manager, you become sort of sensitized when someone is being triggered. And you know, you'll hear that a lot in the, in the popular press when someone says, I was triggered. What that means is that their uh, instinctual fight, flight, or freeze response is being triggered. And they're acting in a way that's specific to a past situation. It's not just that they're, um, that, that they're, angry or irritated or anything like that, they're having a strong reaction that is really based in the past. And they're not really, you know, they're not dealing with the, the present. And once you learn to identify that, 
once you're able to identify that someone's been triggered, then as a manager, you can take a couple of different steps to help uh, avoid re-traumatizing the person, such as taking them out of a uh, threatening situation, uh, giving them an opportunity to to quiet down, to calm down, uh, to avoid feeling like they're threatened, you know, speaking in a calm, reassuring voice, listening if they want to share what's going on. Uh, if you need to give them directions, communicating very concrete, specific language, and particularly being prepared to offer resources for help if they, if they want them, you know, such as hopefully your company has an EAP, but, you know, things like contacting their insurance company or a community agency. So trauma-informed management is really about trying to help people when they're triggered and not seeing that as just uh, behavior that's inappropriate. You, you know, one of the things I wanted to get your take on is is the kind of visible versus invisible. So when we, when we talk, and I'm so glad that we're talking about uh, being triggered because, you know, it can it can happen it can happen in a, in a range of ways. Obviously, mm-hmm. you're a psychologist, you know this. And it can kind of manifest. And, and you can see it, it kind of happen. In a, and sometimes uh, people are triggered and um, it isn't seen. At least, yes. as, as, at least as I understand it, it it's uh, people suffer in silence. Absolutely. And in, when we think of triggering, people tend to think of, Sort of a hyper arousal, right? Aggressive, you know, very uh, powerful response, right? Which is typically the fight or flight, you know, most often the fight response. However, in my experience, more people respond with the freeze response, which is hypo arousal, where people become unusually quiet. They aren't reactive to a situation. They they avoid eye contact. They may physically and psychologically withdraw, withdraw, and in that situation, they're shutting down, and it can be deceptive because it, you know it seems like nothing's going on, but they still experience very strong emotions, typically fear and a sense of paralysis, and they're also going through the same issues of having difficulty thinking things logically difficulty communicating what's going on uh, and as a result someone who's sort of frozen with fear can fly under the radar mm-hmm. and, and that's an area that I think is difficult for uh, managers and really people in general to identify because you think well they're not you know raging and I've certainly seen you know, particularly combat veterans who will fly into a rage but once you become attuned to what it's like when someone uh, is triggered into a freeze response, it creates a, I, I have trouble articulating it because it's kind of like, uh, it's just an odd quality to the experience of being around it. But suddenly it's as if they're absent or they've turned off. And once you notice that, then you can start realizing, oh, this person has been triggered. And it's just as important to address, or if not more important, to address that kind of figuring as it is when someone has a, you know, an outburst. 
You know, one of the things, because we're talking about it now, um, you know, three years ago, let's just say pre-COVID, we'll just keep it simple. Pre-COVID, empathy in, in the office. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, <laughs> there wasn't as much progress. Let's just leave it there. Uh, but because yes. of, the, of, the, of the pandemic, at least, again, from my uh, perspective, there's a whole lot of empathy in pretty much every call, uh, yes. especially at the beginning. You, I think it might some of that might not. So when we say attuned uh, to our employees, when we say or to managers, are you attuned to you know what's going on? If they don't have that skill set on on how to be attuned, etc., maybe they shouldn't be leading. Maybe they shouldn't be managers. So it could be a simple answer, uh, but. How do we teach them? I mean, well, how do we teach it, them to, to to be attuned to those things? It is possible to teach people to be empathic, and yes, uh, you know, it, a lot of it focuses on communication experience and helping people to recognize when you're communicating in an effective way. And I, I you know, often joke about uh, in conversations that I may be sort of running ahead of the conversation and thinking about the next thing I'm going to say right. rather than really listening to the other person. And so there are communication strategies uh, and, and then we have used um, forgetting the name of the, the communication training, but there are all sorts of communication strategies. I teach my clients to, to use a process where you listen and then validate the coherence. So if someone says well, I'm scared right now, rather than jumping to something like, well, what are you scared about, or things like that. You pause and say, okay, so I understand, make sure I'm getting this right, you're feeling frightened, and not moving forward until they affirm what you've, you've said. So you know you're getting their, their experience right. And it, it can be a subtle process to really stick with someone and listen and pay attention and not move ahead. You know, I think we uh, tend to be, especially as managers, and uh, especially as men, tend to move right to solutions and mm -hmm. say, oh, you're afraid, do this. And we need to sit with the experience first. So communication is really a, a key part of it, empathy. But then also learning to sit with our own feelings, learning to express our own feelings and understand them. One thing I'll point out too about the pandemic and PTSD is for, a, for an event to be traumatic, it just needs to be just deeply distressing to that person, regardless of how other people view it. So on the one hand, I've heard people say, oh, you can't be traumatized by COVID because it's a hoax. Well, whether or not it's a hoax, <laughs> which I, I, I don't believe, but when someone, if someone feels like or felt like going to the grocery store was taking their lives into their own hands, was, was really putting themselves in uh, a, a state where they were in danger of catching the disease and dying. Right. That, that's sufficient enough. That's a perception that is sufficient enough to cause post-traumatic stress disorder 
or even just to have you know an emotional response. So it, it doesn't have to be, so to speak, logical. You could say, well, you weren't really in danger. But the crux of the issue is they felt like they were. And that is what sort of triggers the fight or flight response. So it's it's important to recognize, and that's part of being empathic, is realizing the other person's experience isn't the same as, as mine. And they might have experienced something as overwhelmingly uh, distressing when I would say, ah, you know, you have to wear a mask or gloves or whatever, not so bad. So, so we can teach people to be more empathic. Well, I, you know, one of the things I love about this is just the open discussion uh, that I think uh, one silver lining of, of COVID, if you will, is that people talk uh, and feel like they can talk more about mental health in general. Yes. at work which is thank god we're only 100 years late but <laughs> uh but it is nice that people can actually talk about depression and, and medication and things that they're going through etc so i like that i also th i like in particular about this discussion it's talking about triggers and um what triggers you maybe historically uh what what's 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 triggering you right now like i would assume that these things aren't static uh that over time uh and and with experience bad or good uh triggers can change but i i think one of the things that i that i like is uh in the education system the generation gen z millennials to some degree have really brought the uh the the discussion of accommodations to the forefront yes of of school so if you have gen z you understand this uh you understand this pretty well because when you go to school the administrators and the teachers and pretty much everyone you interact with are all talking to you about what accommodations does your student need yes right and, it, yep. and i like that because it's like uh, first of all, where was this when I went to school? <laughs> a, B. Yes. I just like the fact that we're talking about it for all students, not not just special students, not just these you know, students, but we're talking about it. And I think we could do the same thing with triggers. Absolutely. Where we, we, we just openly talk about, okay, here's what's here's what's here's what's here's what's winding me up. Here's what's triggering me this week, today, etc. Yes. So it kind of creates an atmosphere where it's it's okay to talk about yes and that's for me really where i'm hoping we as a culture can go uh, unfortunately it's sort of a mixed bag so mm. with millennials and gen z's we found we did some research back in uh, 2020 and found that younger workers are being impacted worse they're having much higher rates of uh, mental distress or difficulty with substances. We found that uh, over 60% of, uh, of uh, millennials reported some kind of mental distress or substance use issue, whereas uh, the Gen Z, it was over 70%. So right. they're really struggling. And on the one hand, they're more vocal about it. They're more verbal. They're more likely to say what's going on while also expecting more from their employers. But on the other side, sort of paradoxically, we also found that younger workers were less aware 
of their benefits and where to go for help. Mm-hmm. So they're struggling more, expect more, but don't have the same awareness of benefits and of you know who do they reach out to, and right. it puts them in a, a really difficult uh, position because, a, as you sort of mentioned, there are effective accommodations for these types of uh, situations. There are things we can do to mitigate it, you know, it, even just as simple as modifying the person's break schedule so they can take time to recenter themselves after they've been treated to do. Uh, exercises that the therapists might have suggested. So there are ways to accommodate people with these with, uh, with uh, these kinds of issues, but we need to do a better job as employers communicating what those benefits are and how to access. And you know what's 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 great about this is again continuing the conversation that we were having is you know work stressful. I don't care what yes. you do work wise. Yeah. <laughs> There's an element of stress to it. Maybe maybe it's you know, you're not a fire uh, person running up and down a ladder going into fires, but there's stress to every job. Yes. So recognizing that publicly, you know, as a leader and saying, okay, there's stress here at the job, but there's also stress elsewhere outside the job. Stress yes. that's that's come from, you know, historical or otherwise. So, so you know, it is a part of work for us to help you uh, with the stress that's obviously here. If you're a call center employee, you know, there's odd stress that comes with that job, but also there's stress that you're bringing into the job, and yes. so that trauma. Uh, and dealing with that and consuming it in in a way that's again it's it's there's not a I mean we've taken the voodoo out of it we've taken some of the stigma away from it and again yes. I think you're I think you're dead on I think you know these kids that are graduating they're going into the workforce and expecting <laughs> that the workforce is ready for them. And they're not, and they're not. They're clearly not. I can tell you that they're just not ready for having discussions around accommodations, much less, you know, people needing to take a day off and talk, being open about it. Like, hey, I'm, yes. I'm going to take Monday off. I just need to go to the museum. I really need to kind of get myself back together. Like, that's a common conversation with somebody under 40. Yes. But, but again, workplaces, they're not, they're not necessarily set up that way. Um, well, Go ahead. Well, I, I think, you know, part of it is that we, our culture has sort of adapted uh, an approach where we're all often stuck in sort of a reactive stress response where we're right. sort of dealing with a low level pervasive sense of threat and danger. And so we're always hmm. sort of on the edge of fight or flight or freeze. Right. And we don't really, we don't get the opposite. So, you know, the, the opposite, the fight or flight or freeze is one side of our nervous system. The sympathetic nervous system activates that when there's one more danger. But it's, there's a parallel, the parasympathetic nervous system that drives what we call the rest and digest response or feed and breathe. And there was a, a movement back in the 70s, I think, called the relaxation response. Right, 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 right. That's come back now as uh, mindfulness <laughs> meditation. 
But it's, yeah. you know, I, I, I often think that way back, you know, when we were being attacked by bears, we would have these periods of sheer terror. Oh, 100%. But, but then we could recoup and we could relax. At and, one point, the bears have yeah. to hibernate. <laughs> but, but in modern society, we, we tend not to get that and just have, you know, ongoing pervasive stress. And we need to learn relaxation. Right. One, one of the things I've sort of been moving towards, I have a, a colleague, Joel Bennett, uh, who founded a group called Organizational Wellness and Learning, uh, Learning, who has been talking with me, he's been pushing me around uh, what he calls thriving management. But basically, managers can also act in ways that support people's resilience and their ability to thrive by doing things like offering greater flexibility or mm-hmm. you know not pushing if someone says like uh, standard grievance to give the process or a policy if we get a few personal days every year what we used to might have called uh, mental health days but you don't have to say oh i'm, I'm feeling depressed or, right right and unless so you I feel think, comfortable unless you feel comfortable talking yes. about it, right if, if, if there's a safe environment again spaced to yep. listen and space to talk if you feel if there's a space to do that great but you yep. don't have to it's not <laughs> yep. you don't have to lead with i'm taking a mental health day <laughs> right and it, it's that kind of flexibility but also model right a, you know a positive approach to stress in the managers who uh, take time off who take a moment to Mm-hmm. literally to breathe and reset to themselves well, it's, uh, taking breaks things like that it's celebrating it's so it's yes. like a lot of things it's it's with leadership when the when leaders show uh a kind of a mental acuity and they show uh, that they need to take some time off or they're feeling stressed or they're going through yes. and learning empathy like when leaders do that then everyone, it, 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 everyone else has the green light to then yes. feel like, again, you know, do it or don't do it. That's fine. Oh, br- br- Dan, I could talk to you for all day. <laughs> I, and of course, I looked down. I'm like, oh, my God, he's late to his next meeting. Thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful topic. We'll have to we'll have to dig into it again and go a little bit deeper. But thank you so much for the time today. You're welcome. I appreciate it. And I, I had, a, had a great time talking with you. Awesome. Look forward to doing it again. and thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.